1: and the host of this show. Our guest, Troy DeWald, is a past Daytime Emmy nominee and previously served as a mentor in conjunction with the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences College Television Awards. He's lectured on reality television's story process in places as far-flung as London and Tel Aviv, and also hosts... Remember We're Not Here reality podcast on iTunes, and also runs the book's companion website, realitytvbook.com. He's worked on Dancing with the Stars and Hollywood Game Night. Troy is the author of Reality TV, now in its second edition, and Carol, Troy's book is full of information and tips on understanding how reality TV works and even how to create
0: your own show. That's right, Claire. And, Troy, thank you for coming to share your wealth of knowledge.
2: It is my pleasure, Carol.
0: So I want to know what's new in your second edition.
2: Well, there's a lot that's changed in reality television in five years. Uh, a lot of the way we work uh, has has changed. The business itself has shifted a little bit, and I just wanted to make sure that uh, those changes were reflected in an updated version of the book. So there's a lot more conversation about the business Uh, in addition to what had originally been a book that focused primarily on story.
0: So now you're covering more on how to make a business out of it, right?
2: Oh, yes. And I think it's, you know, I got some great advice years ago from Ted Elliott, who was a a screenwriter, and he had said uh, the first job anybody has in the business is to understand how the business works. So if you don't understand how the business works, it doesn't matter if you know how story works.
0: That's right. And people forget, this is the business of film. So understanding the business side is equally as important as being the creative, working in the business, right? Precisely. Well, the back of your book says, get real, get in, maybe even get rich. So you say this is a declaration of possibilities. Tell us more. Yes, uh,
2: when I first uh, in the first edition of the book when that came out and the, the back jacket copy said get real get in maybe even get rich, something went up the back of my neck and I said oh you know I don't I, I hate to talk about you know the, the money because so many people get in and they they make a nice living but they don't get rich, um, but I'm noticing that you know with the increase in the number of platforms and the ways that you can release material, um, it, it's a new there's a lot of new ground being broken, and as always, the people who get there first uh, are, are always going to do very well. So it is absolutely a declaration of possibility this time. I feel a lot more comfortable having that on the book jacket now.
0: Oh, good, good. Well, I think that makes it really important to all of us, because being um, and giving a grant like we do at From the Heart Productions, I'm starting to get people who want to do pilots for reality right. TV shows.
2: That makes me very happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, I, so it,
2: I like to see. Yeah,
0: it's moving. It's moving from doc shorts, features to reality TV, and that's exactly what your book is telling us, right?
2: Yes, it, it, there's there's so many possibilities there, and I think film students now are thinking about reality television in a way that they didn't maybe five or ten years ago. Um, just the romance of of film and uh, and scripted television will always be what it is, and reality. You know, there's just no denying that it's it's sticking around. It's going to be here for a while. And if you can find a way to love it and, and get in, now's the time.
0: Exactly. Well, um, I would imagine that it's a really difficult job because you know what you want or what you think they're going to say, but you never know what they will say. So um, you you must be changing. You've got to be a very flexible person to be in this business. I guess that's the bottom line, Right. You do. I mean, a lot of it is about
2: listening to people. But, uh, you know, as I say in the book, as far as story goes, we'll start with an outline or something that we think is going to happen and we try to predict something so that we can guess what we're going to get. But as soon as something authentic happens in the field, you've got to be ready to throw that outline away and adapt to what's really happening with these people.
0: Mm-hmm. Because uh, Blake Edwards said years ago, there's nothing better than true life stories.
2: Oh, exactly. I agree with
0: that 100%. And you would know that above all people. How many years have you been in this?
2: This is my 16th year in reality television. I I started in 2000.
0: Gosh, that was right at the beginning.
2: Well, you know, I I was lucky enough that I got in right about the same time that Survivor blew up and uh, reality television sort of exploded. And there was a vacuum there and that there weren't that many people working in reality television. And as these things proliferated, you just got sort of pulled forward. I was a producer within the first year that I was here. <laughs> I went from logging tape to, you know, being one of the story producers who was actually putting together the show before the the, the show itself had, had finished its first season. So I'm very fortunate to have been here when I was.
0: Well, tell us what a story producer does, Troy. Well, what a story producer does
2: is uh, they come in at any one of the three stages of production. Some of them work in the field. Some of them work, you know, uh, pre-production. Some of them are more centered in post. Most of what I've done is in post. But what a story producer will do is uh, they basically try to figure out how to construct a story that is going to work. They, the ones that are in the field, the field producers, will follow the action and help guide it in directions that are most helpful to us on the post side, um, meaning that everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. If there's a story, there's at least three scenes there, so you can set it up, do something, and then talk about the fallout from it. Um, And good producers have very light touches. Um, We're not guiding people around. We're not saying, hey, here's answer this question for this or answer this question for that. The reactions always have to be real, so it's just about interacting with the cast and making sure that they're authentic at all times. Uh, On the post side, we do a tremendous amount of compression of time uh, where we take events that may have occurred over the course of a month and somehow condense it to look like it happened over two days because that's where the real material is. So there's a lot of... Oh, my of, gosh. You know, but,
0: is yeah, that difficult? can be tough. Uh,
2: there are shows where it is easier than others. Um, a lot of times there are restrictions on who you're shooting, especially on occupational shows. Um, I cannot tell you how much I admire the people who have been doing Deadliest Catch for years, because it's just it, – it's I, trying to take those things and put them together into a coherent storyline is is not easy, and they've done a phenomenal job with it.
0: Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, tell us uh, what the seven kinds of reality shows are. I didn't realize there were classifications, but it, sure. in your book, you explain it. Well,
2: and what's funny about it is in the book, I sort of lampoon the idea that there are seven types of reality shows because there's so much hybridization going on that there are shows that have certain elements of each of these. But originally I set out and thought uh, you had documentary docu-series, you had reality competition, you have makeover and renovation, and that doesn't matter if it's your face or your house, makeover and renovation is the same thing to me. Dating, then there's hidden camera, amateur content, There's Supernatural, and then there's the Travel and Aspirational. So people come up and say... Well, what is
0: Supernatural?
2: Well, Supernatural, there's a lot of, uh, you know, any of your sort of ghost hunting shows, um, things that are reenactments of paranormal events, tell their ghost stories. Um, It's really sort of become its own thing over the last maybe five to ten years. You didn't see a lot of those programs until the mid-2000s.
0: Well, that sounds very interesting. And the hidden camera shows? Sure. Which ones are those? Tell us.
2: Hidden Camera uh, has been around since 1948. I mean, there are so many variations on Candid Camera uh, that it's just sort of morphed over the years into shows like Punked and Boiling Point. And um, there's there's always, most of your prank shows come from that. Uh, There's not a lot that's completely new. On on real in reality television because it, again it has been around a lot longer than we think just in the current format not since you know maybe around 2000 but uh, all these all of these forms with the exception of supernatural you know we've seen for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I loved uh, Chapter Eight um, in your second edition of Reality TV: Creating Your Own Shows. So, uh, first you say you need to understand the market. Right? That's, so Ab- tell us more about that.
2: Absolutely. I think the mistake that a lot of people make that have an idea or a concept for a reality show is that there isn't a network whose programming demands include the, the concept that you have. And as much as we'd all like to believe that we're trailblazers and we're going to show the world something they haven't seen before, the reality of the situation is every network has a very specific directive. Um, I have worked for a, a network... Uh, fairly recently worked for a production company that had a deal with the network rather. And we were doing a show that was a relationship based show. Um, The the network got a new president while we were in the process of producing the show. And the show was canceled because the new direction for the network was we don't want to do the relationship shows so much anymore. We're going to try and move in this new direction. So if your concept, no matter how good it is, if there is not a network that has that sort of on its shopping list, if they're not looking for that type of show, you're not going to be able to make a sale. And also, when you present to a production company, because a new creator cannot usually take a meeting with a network, um, you have to go to production companies that have existing relationships with the networks that you see your shows fitting in with. Um, I'm not going to go to a production company that only does light uplifting, you know, family things and home reno shows uh, and pitch them my idea for, you know, a a supernatural series where people talk about murder and death and coming back to life and haunting people and all these things, because it's not a fit for that company and it's not a fit for any of the networks that they typically deal with. You have to understand the bigger picture before you, you know, start investing your, your time in, shopping something that may not be right for anybody
0: right so first is there a market and second where is it uh i mean would would you even recommend that they go to the production companies that are producing things like that maybe it's a a makeover show that they go to talk to some of them to see if it's a viable idea
2: well here's the thing when you when you put something together uh, to take to a production company to present with, you're always trying to figure out something where your own value figures into what you're doing. If you are, if your brother is a, is a major football star and you decide you would like to do a reality show about him, then you have value in the room as a first-time creator. First-time creators in the room, the big thing is is you're basically trying to get people to give you money for something you've never done before. And I always say that, you know, most people that want to start as a show creator as opposed to working in the business, um, they're sort of at a disadvantage um, because they, they don't have any real value to production. And unless that idea is absolutely stellar, there's going to be seven other versions of whatever you've pitched that have already come in the door. So you're trying to join the Army as a general, and that can be a little bit tough. Um, but as I always say, you know, anything is always possible.
0: Right so but let's say that someone loved reality TV had an idea for a show um mm-hmm. the the real way is to get a job in reality TV find out who, how it works so that you have some experience and and then you would learn who would who is the producer or the production company that you would go to to help you make it and you move into it from uh, a true online position right Inside right. the in, inside the entertainment industry.
2: Exactly. I can't tell you how much easier it is for me to pitch now compared to, you know, 16 years ago when I thought that everything started with me writing a, a spec or for a future for or for, you know, sitcoms, you can't really write a spec for a reality show. You have to basically create this entire model that you have to prove to people that you have a concept that could run for two or three or four seasons. That's big enough to do that. That's another thing I think people stumble over when they create. They don't think long-term and imagine it as as a major you know, ongoing business thing.
0: Well, that's a good point because I would think that a production company would not want to take on a one-time event that's only going to run for 13 shows or one year. Uh, there's just too much in the startup process, right?
2: Exactly, exactly. The only exception to that being, I think Fox, for a very long time, uh, when Mike Darnell was there years ago, you could do a show like My Big Fat Obnoxious Fiance, and they'd put it up for a they put it up for one season, and it would do very well, and they would consider that a successful experiment. If it ran one good season, that was great. You know, they weren't necessarily looking for things that were going to run forever. Uh, but I don't see a lot of places now uh, that are looking for shows that are sort of one-off sort of event type, uh, one season shows.
0: Okay. Well, this is so important to hear from you because you know, the market, I mean, how brilliant of you to write that book for all of us. So where can people buy your book?
2: Well, the book itself, uh, is available at Amazon. It's available at com. You can get it through the writer's store. You can get it through Barnes and Noble online. Um, Almost anywhere that you can buy any books on film or television, you should be able to get it or you should be able to order it. Um, it's okay. distributed through a company called Ingram, so it's all over the world right now. So you can find it pretty much anywhere.
0: Okay, Reality reality TV, second edition. Great. Yes. Okay, so second, you say, uh, in the Reality TV, uh, how to create your own shows, you say that make sure it's a working a workable concept.
2: Yes. And a workable concept is the example that I very often use when I lecture is uh, if you had a show called Celebrity Choir that you wanted to pitch. And the idea is that every week you're going to go out and you're going to create a choir of B-list celebrities and they're going to have to put together a performance. Well, you think about that in terms of an eight-episode season. If you have 20 people in that choir, you're going to have to cast 160 celebrities to do an eight-episode season of that show.
0: Wow. That
2: is, that is highly impractical. It c- would cost a fortune. Um, um, but if you had a version of it where you just said, every week we're going to have a different celebrity and we're going to put them in charge of putting together a music program with a choir in some small town. Well, now, all of a sudden, you only have to hire eight celebrities. It's something that's small enough that it can be done. People can travel and, and produce that show, and it becomes a lot more realistic. Um, there are people that have, you know, you, you pitch a show, you know, that's, that's going to cost an outrageous amount of money or that it's going to be logistically impossible to execute. You're going to look foolish in the room, and you're really going to ruin your opportunities to be invited back to any of those production companies to pitch, because they're just going to look at you like you're insane. <laughs> um, so when you're, when, you're, when you're coming up with your ideas, you know at least have an idea of of how practical things are. Don't pitch a show. Like if I wanted, if I was, if I went out and tried to pitch a show with MC Hammer in it. Well, uh, he's not a friend of mine. I've never talked to him before. I don't have a talent agreement with him. The first question they're going to say is, well, what are his terms? And so on and so on. You say, well, I, I don't know him. I just would like to do a show about him. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's, again, it's that sort of what are you, where are you coming from? This is not a workable concept. You do not have talent on board you know at the time of the pitch which is something I always advise people to do if you have talent that that is willing to say yes I'll attach myself to that show while you pitch it for 90 days you know Yeah it, Yeah it, it it suddenly turns something into something with value and again something that is executable should it happen to sell
0: Very smart The fourth thing you say in the book is creating the one sheet so tell us what that yes. is
2: Um, A one-sheet is basically a single-page description of how the show works. Um, The way I typically write them is I do a log line at the top, just a one- or two-sentence summary of what the show is about. Uh, Then I write a full summary that basically explains the process of how the show works. If it's a reality competition show, it's really important that people understand. Uh, There's a term that we use in the business called the elimination metrics, You have to come up with some way that the show can be executed where, you know, if there's a tie, the show doesn't completely disintegrate. Somebody has to win. Somebody has to go home every episode. How are you going to make sure that that happens? Um, And it's just doing it, just getting that on on a single page, sometimes two, um, but I always prefer to do it in one, just so that you have a very clear way that you can present it. Now, a one-sheet, I don't recommend leaving them behind in meetings. Um, There was a meeting that I had several years ago with a big network that the development executive was extremely excited about the project. My one-sheet had a single graphic on it. It was a photograph from the turn of the century of a taxidermied orangutan dressed as Napoleon. (laughs) That (laughs) one-sheet... Stay with me, Carol, because it gets worse. Um, He took it upstairs to talk to uh, the head of the network about it. And he called me back the same afternoon. He says, you'll never believe it. I said, well, what happened? He said, I walked in and I put it down and I started talking about how great the show was. And he looked at the graphic. And just off the graphic, he said, this is too dark for our network. Well, it absolutely wasn't. (laughs) But it's just the graphic I had chosen and trying to compose a good-looking one sheet had actually ruined our opportunity to sell the show. So I try not to leave oh, those my things gosh. behind. But they're nice to have so that as a follow-up after the meeting if they should ask for it, right. you'll have something that you can send to them through your agent or your your entertainment attorney just as a, just as a follow-up. Um if if you can if you can do a pitch without one, that's fantastic, but it helps you to to sort of hone the idea down into something that's presentable in a short period of time.
0: Well, um I want to hear about the pitch, but the real question I should ask next is, how do you get an appointment with someone in a network?
2: It is very difficult. Uh, I would tell you to look for uh, agencies, managers. Um, If you can't find one, an entertainment attorney can sometimes do it. There is so much stuff coming in over the transom in reality and nonfiction television that people just can't process anything. So they, you know, the, the, the same thing for film is that those firewalls exist for a reason. Is they're trying to keep the amateurs and the hacks out. So in order to get past that, when you are trying to set up those sorts of appointments, uh, you know, if you're creating a show that has any sort of celebrity attachment, if you have anything that specifically shows them when you make the query that you understand them and their business and who they pitch to, just being able to say listen, I know that you do a series called Flipping Out about this home developer for Bravo. I have this other project that's also in the real estate space that I think would be great for Bravo. I would love to present it to you. You have a better chance of people not hanging up on your ear if you have some, if you, you can display to them that you understand, you know, who they are and what they're, what they're selling. It's, it's always going to be difficult. To, to get any sort of a meaningful pitch anywhere, It's how do I add value? How do I put myself forward? You know, if you're a major business leader and you have a screenplay, like I I wrote a a spec feature a while ago that was related to the reality television business. And the only reason I chose to write that was because the only value that I add to anything is my experience having worked in that business. Right. I'm not established as a comedian. I don't have, there's no reason that anybody would want to read a spec feature comedy Mm -hmm. from me. So I'm trying to capitalize on you know, what you know where my value lies, and you should always do that when you're creating shows you know do it about something you know or that you love or that you're personally invested in, and when you pitch something that you've got a little skin in the game, then people are are more likely to be receptive and ask you to come in and pitch them
0: exactly exactly yeah. uh, great, and you and it has to be short and sweet because you're talking to somebody who gets pitched all the time uh, succinct um, and creative and thoughtful and don't keep you on the phone forever. Uh, it's the short pitch, really, that you need to exactly. have perfected. Well, tell me, how, how do you pitch the show? Would you do pitch uh, a reality TV show like you would a feature? Uh, there are lots of
2: different approaches to it. Uh, my favorite, uh, Chris Abrego who is now the co-executive off- officer at Endemol, years ago created uh, a show called The Surreal Life. And one of the spinoffs was Flavor Flav, who was on the show, rapper, uh, was trying to pursue Brigitte Nielsen, and they created a series out of that. Well, the pitch for that was they made a wedding cake that had a little Flavor Flav and Brigitte Nielsen as a topper, and they brought it with them to the meeting. This is sort (laughs) of an unusual illustration. And I'm not usually into very gimmicky pitches, but certain things like, you know, in features, like when when Anna Faris showed up for – showed up in character when they went to pitch the house bunny Um, little things little things that you can do to make things memorable are great but I think the 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 number one thing when I pitch and anytime I've had any kind of successful connection where people want to talk further or, or or take something beyond that level it's always when I'm pitching them in a way where I'm sort of posing questions as I pitch uh, if you ask a question first, people tend to get hooked. It's like, you know, what would happen to you? Like, do you think you could spend the night in a haunted house for $100,000? That sort of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of you're, you're getting people involved in the pitch. You're not just throwing information at them. And mm-hmm. I always say that your pitch doesn't matter at all the first time someone in the room asks you a question. The trick of a pitch is to not necessarily just pitch your concept but to develop a rapport with the person in the room because those questions that they ask you will guide how you pitch. And, and very frequently, you know, just a, a, a made-up example of this would be if I pitched a show and it was about, you know, women that wanted to be famous and we were going to try to figure out how to make them famous in eight weeks. And somebody comes back to me and says, well, you know, we're working with Suzuki to develop, you know, a show about motorcycles and whatever else, is there any way that this could be set, you know, in a competitive female motorcyclist environment or something like that? Your answer to that is always, sure.
0: That's right. Of course (laughs) I could do that.
2: Many, many projects morph in the room into something else, or people will say, could you develop something in that space if the thing you bring in doesn't sound right? Because if they like you, they want to work with you. That's the big thing. You have to be somebody that people want to work with you can't be correcting them if the pitch goes off track. If they say, do you want to do a thing with motorcycles? And you say, no, no, that's not what this is about. Well, congratulations. You've just walked away from the possibility of of doing, you know, an eight episode run of a series sponsored by Suzuki.
0: Right. And that sounds like a fun show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now that I think about it, I'll have to put that one together and pitch.
0: Okay, your fourth thing you have in Chapter Eight of reality t v is creating the one sheet
2: yes and and you know as we've been talking about the the one sheet is just that that single uh the, the the most simplified version of your idea. It just sits on a page with a log line and a summary of how the the show works and whatever the elimination metrics are if it's a reality competition show and just something that you have to have ready you know after the meeting if they need. A, a prompt, or they request it. You can send that to them through your agency or through your entertainment attorney, and then they have something they can pitch from. It's always better right. if they if they pitch it to their colleagues from memory rather than oh, from your one sheet, because they'll be I more excited would, yes. about it.
0: Oh, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and you don't, you shouldn't be reading it because it just doesn't work ever. Oh, never. <laughs>
2: Never read a pitch and, and, and figure out ways to make your, your pitch as, as exciting uh, as possible. Um, there are always interesting ways, There's, uh, certain tips and tricks. Um, Tom Lennon and Ben Garrett, who wrote Night at the Museum, I always say that anything you know about scripted, traditional scripted, applies to reality. So for me, a pitch is a pitch, no matter where you are. But those, those guys, whenever they go to pitch, they show up in black suits to pitch. Because it makes them look a little different than the other people who are coming in to pitch, like it's thats right. their that's their hook, and they get a tremendous amount of work,
0: oh my gosh, that's great, yeah, it's just using your creativity to get in the door and then to pitch. It's just it being is. creative in all these areas, isn't it
2: and and balancing it, I mean, you don't want to go in and look like a complete lunatic. <laughs> You know, whenever you see me on on book jackets or, 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 you know, in in photos, I have a collection of very strange uh, patchwork jackets that I've had made for me by a person who who typically does, like, stage costumes for Ringo Starr or whatever else, because I like to look a little bit unusual and be memorable. Um, But everything that comes out of my mouth is so incredibly straightforward, and, you know, I'm I'm just a a, a big historian at heart. So when I talk about something, it's like, well, you know, five years ago you made this. Three years ago you made this. I know that you made a certain turn here. This seems like the next logical step for you based on the things you've been producing. That way, Brilliant. It, it, you know, you, I have an unusual look. You're going to remember me. But what you really remember about me is how much I love the business of reality television, how much I bothered to research you and your company so that I'm not coming in to waste your time.
0: Exactly. Oh, Troy. That's I love it when people call me and they they say, oh, Carol, I love the film that you that won your grant. Uh, and then then you know I'm listening because I know they've done their research and she she or he will know what kind of funds we have filmed in the past. Yep. I mean, what kind of films we have funded in the past. But I have to say, I love the jacket of you on this book. Now, Michael Weesey, never puts a picture of anybody on the cover of the book. But so he couldn't resist it. This is terrific. And the jacket you you have on, whose face is that?
2: The whole, that particular jacket, I'm a big fan of a band called The Tubes. And Uh that jacket I, I had made is all album covers uh, from the tubes, and the gentleman whose face you can see on the jacket is Prairie Prince, um, who is a, oh. a fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's not one of it's not the most subtle thing I could wear out.
0: But, uh, <laughs> no, but I would have to come meet you. I, I mean, I would be driven to find out who you are and what you did because that that is a great creative shirt. I mean, it just shows you're full of creativity.
2: Or or at least I trust other people enough to make me look loud, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well done. Well done. Well, okay, next you talk about the deck. So tell me what that is.
2: Uh, What a deck is, and these are very hard to find examples of online, which I think is interesting. I I wish I would have gone into it a little bit more in the book. Um, But a deck is a multiple page, uh, beautifully produced, almost like – when you you get a CD that has a nice booklet inside, that it's just sort of a visual explanation of what everything is on the show, how it works, an introduction to your cast, um, any one of a number of things that you feel like it's important for someone to know about your show. It has a lot more information than the one sheet. Um, Some people I know put in... uh, Things like other shows in this vein that have succeeded are blah, 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 blah. Here's how many seasons and episodes those shows have run. You know, hopefully we'll be able to mimic that success here. Um, It's just a very colorful way to illustrate in an engaging way what it is you're pitching. Now, for a long, long time, uh, PowerPoint decks kind of still are the way to go. But as technology moves forward, uh, if you have an opportunity to do a deck where electronically there's a link on a page to a short video or, you know, there's ways that they can use that deck to explore in depth what it is you're trying to do, that's when it's going to service you uh, the best. Um, I've only just started using hyperlinks in mine um, to either video that I've produced in support of the show or to... You know, maybe an interview on YouTube with someone. Uh, Just something to keep their interest uh, and and be visually interesting enough to explain the show uh, in a memorable way.
0: Great. Well, um, next you talk about the sizzle reel, how important that would be to sell it. Yes. Um, what is the time of that um, What mm-hmm. some tips on how to make it and what would you think what's the average price we'd like to know those things
2: well I would tell you uh, the sizzle reels that I produce uh, I'm usually the only person who's involved with any of it because I write, shoot, edit I do everything with the exception of run mm-hmm. sound and if it's something that's very small and informal it's very easy for me to, to you know even cover that myself So a sizzle reel, uh, there are many different types of sizzle reels uh, that are all described in the book, uh, thanks to a a wonderful producer named Dan Abrams that I've known for many years who talks about sizzle reels a lot at events for the PGA, the Producers Guild. Um, I would tell you that a budget for those could be anywhere from, personally, I've spent between $0 and 0 cents Uh, all the way up to I think the most expensive one I ever produced cost me almost $15,000. But again, you know, they don't have to be super involved. It's just a matter of displaying in a visual way. Some people make a fake commercial for the show. Some people go out and shoot something that looks like highlights reel um, of a possible season. There are lots and lots of different ways to address those. As far as the time on those, uh, conventional wisdom says three minutes, would be a max for those. Um, I typically don't produce any that are more than about 90 seconds. And if I can keep it under a minute, I'd really like to do that. I think the key to success is always leaving just enough to the imagination that the executive can fill in whatever blanks they would want to fill in with their own version of something. Right. Get Get the idea across, but it's more just to kind of, turn the crank and get the motor to turn over in their brain so that they can really start thinking about the show. You you don't want them sitting there waiting for it to end. Um, <laughs> Very so keep, true. so keep it nice and short. Well,
0: w- w- from beginning to end, for all the things that we've talked about, if you did it yourself, uh, would you say that fifteen you could do it for 15000 which is the maximum well, you pay for that one sizzle reel? Or I think, more? I think- Looking back, I think I was insane
2: to spend that amount of money. But it was such a wonderful idea for a show that was so dependent on you understanding who the person was that was the, the, would have been the star of that series that it was worth it to follow them to their hometown and get a couple of other things. And, you know, you end up spending, you know, a little bit for hotel and your travel expenses and things like that. And it just – I still, we didn't sell the show, but I still think it was worth it. Good. Um, but keep it keep it cheap. I mean, it's, a, it's based on – it's a very – it's like – selling a show is like winning the lottery. And how much <laughs> are you willing to spend on a ticket to win the lottery? You know, you can do it for $2. If you buy 150 tickets, your chances are still about the same, and then you're out $300 instead of $2. Well,
0: um, this – what are per- the percentages of – People who have ideas that actually get them made. I would you think honestly, that it's one percent?
2: I I would think that it's I would think that it's probably less. Um, oh, but in, in the same way that those odds don't dissuade filmmakers from writing spec scripts, I don't think that it should dissuade you from putting something together to try to sell in reality television. As you 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 sort of have to pay to be in the game on a certain level and it's you know if you're too afraid to write something if you're too afraid to try then you've absolutely lost Um, and there are are many opportunities that I've had where I've pitched people who've said no and then six months later I get a phone call and they want me to come work on a show as a supervising producer or a co-EP because it was about forging a relationship not selling the show sort of like don't, don't put don't think that selling the show is the ultimate you know, pass or fail when you're out there creating if you're trying to get a job in or work in reality television. You may end up with a, an offer to come work in development at that company. There's all kinds Absolutely. of other things that could happen to you you know, that are, are wonderful advancements that are not the same as selling a
0: show. No, it's all about you. I mean, I want to know who you are. If we give you a film grant, who are you? Uh, that's more important to me than what your film is. You first, exactly. then the film second. Yeah. yeah. Well, um all right. So now you you say uh, next we have to take this to market. So we touched a little on that. Do you want to add any more to that? Not really. I think we've
2: we've covered that pretty well and whatever we've missed okay. is in the book.
0: Okay. And chapter 10 says understanding the global market. So you want to how does that work for reality TV? I never even thought that there would be a place in in Europe for some of the stuff we watch here, but i is there?
2: Well, say, well here's the thing is, um, as Americans, <laughs> we have a tendency to think that nothing happens outside of the borders of the United States. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, if I don't make it in Los Angeles or New York, I fail. It's the end of the world. Um, I, when I lectured in Tel Aviv, there was a, a fantastic guy. His name was Avi Armosa. He owns a company called Armosa Format. Um, and I started seeing... What they were doing there, uh, I had known for years that in the United States, because there's so much capital investment in making anything for television, uh, we end up buying a lot of existing formats from other countries. Um, if a show does well in Denmark, all of a sudden, you know, there's an American version of that. We, somebody pays for the intellectual property rights to produce it in the United States. It goes on, it succeeds or fails, and the process repeats itself. But because the business is so risky the idea that an idea has proven itself anywhere makes it more legitimate somehow when the networks are shopping. Uh, It it really turns it really kind of turns things over. It's like, oh, so they're finding things to buy outside of the country. If you're pitching a show overseas, the intellectual property laws are often very different there. Um, Meaning that the creator of the show doesn't get, a little piece of the show like they do here or get a fee per episode or something like that. Um, If you sell a show in Israel or if you send a show in in certain other places where the IP laws are different, uh, that show will sell into 10 or 15 countries and you're the creator. You own the IP. Like it's your show. That money, if they decide to adapt your program for another thing, belongs to you and whatever the company is that you're working with that's, that's putting it out. So you have lots of little shows. Like there's a great show uh, that that started, I think, in Israel called um, Couch Diaries. Great example. Couch Diaries, I think, has been sold into more than a dozen global markets. And I think that MTV at one point picked it up for the United States. I don't know if it's made it to air or not. I haven't paid very close attention to it. But the idea of having a show that you know is big in Poland or big in France or big, yeah, I, you know, money is money. if you're trying to have a career and you're trying to move forward, what does it matter if your show is on in the United States or if it's on overseas and looking for production companies overseas that would be willing to work with you or, or that you can pitch to, it just seems like a no brainer. It's like, you've got to expand your mind beyond the idea of what you think success is here in the U S so keeping an eye open on, or keeping an ear open for what's going on in the global market and who you might be able to pitch or present to to get a show made overseas, don't cut yourself off to that because you still have that film school cartoon version of what it means to make it in the business in the U.S.
0: Well said. Thank you so much, Troy. What a wonderful conversation with you. Uh, Tell us how people can find you. Do you do consultations or are you available
2: I I do do consultations. Um, You can always reach me through. I have a website called realitytvbook.com that has a lot of pro tips and just sort of personal musings and things like that. But there is a contact form there uh, if you're interested in any of those sorts of things. Um, And, you you know, you can always reach me. I uh, I answer single questions about reality television at realitytvtroy at gmail.com. I usually respond to whatever mail I get during the week on Saturday mornings between 6 a.m. and noon.
0: Wow, you sound like you've got your life very structured. I guess with all the things you're into, that's the way to make it work, huh? Only way to do it. (laughs) Set that time
2: aside every week.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you so much for such a great book and a good conversation. Take good care. And thank you, Claire, thank you. for hosting our show. Yes, Claire, thank you. Very happy to. Yes.
1: Thank you, Troy. It's been a great conversation. Learned a lot. Be well, right. everyone.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Now in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com.